Hello and welcome to the American Society of Regional Anesthesia, Regional Anesthesia and Pain Podcast, ASRA Wrap. I'm your host, Raj Gupta, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. And we have an amazing panel of people today to talk about uh, an upcoming symposium on green anesthesia. I'll do my introductions shortly, but I just want to make sure people are aware of a couple things coming up. Um, obviously, the the symposium is going to be coming up on October 1st, and I encourage you to go to azra.com and register for that. I think it's going to be fantastic. It's the first time we're doing this topic of green anesthesia, and some people may wonder where regional anesthesia, general anesthesia, and all of that coalesce into a topic that's appropriate for this society, and so we'll get into that shortly. Um, the other thing is, is of course, the ASRA fall meeting is coming up. It's going to be in person in Orlando. Um, go to ASRA.com because the registration is open right now. Well, we just sent out the approvals for the abstracts. It's um, a tremendous number of abstracts were submitted and accepted to the meeting. I think we're on par for a record number. I think the meeting's attendance is going to be gangbusters and um, will be a phenomenal experience to be there in person. So I encourage you to go to ASRA.com. Register for the meeting. Um, be there with us in Orlando. I'll be there. Come say hi to me if you are uh, at the meeting, and I'm looking forward to talking to you there. So without further ado, let me get the rest of our guests. So um, I'm going to read your introductions because I'm going to make sure I don't miss anything. You guys have uh, esteemed careers already, so I want to make sure I catch all of this. So first, we have Vivian Ip. She's a clinical professor in the Department of Anesthesia and Pain Medicine at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Vivian, I was actually just in Edmonton recently. I, I could have reached out to you. We were there for a short time. Um, right. Is, yeah. So she's a practicing anesthesiologist with uh, fellowship training in regional anesthesia and pain medicine and ambulatory anesthesia. She's the director of regional anesthesia and acute pain and the director of ambulatory regional anesthesia at the University of Alberta Hospital. She's the chair of the ASRA Pain Medicine Green Anesthesia Special Interest Group. Uh, we'll talk about that more. And chair of the Canadian Anesthesiologist Society Environmental Sustainability Section. She's the vice chair and editor of the ASRA Pain Medicine Newsletter Committee, and she has no conflicts of interest to report. Vivian, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Raj. Um, next is uh, Deirdre Keller. She's a regional anesthesia and acute pain anesthesiologist and the chair of the Anesthesiology Sustainability Committee at Wheel Cornell Medicine in New York. Um, she's passionate about finding sustainable alternatives to current anesthetic and healthcare practices and reducing the environmental footprint of care while improving its safety, efficiency, and cost effectiveness. Uh, shares uh, the best practices as the newsletter uh, liaison for Azure Pain Medicine, Green Anesthesia Special Interest Group, and she also has no conflicts of interest to report. Deirdre, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great, great to have you here. I'm, I'm really excited to hear about some of the ideas. Um, we're um, I think about this all the time as I'm working in the operating room, but sometimes lost to know what to do. And then last but not least, E.B. Fouts-Palmer. E.B. is an assistant professor of clinical anesthesiology at Will Cornell Medical College in New York. Um, her interests include environmental sustainability and physician wellness, and she's particularly passionate about the role of anesthesiologists as advocates for patient safety and public health. EB has no conflicts of interest to report. My only conflict is I do this podcast, which I don't make anything for, and um, I'm on the board of directors for Azure Pain Medicine. So um, thank you guys. Welcome. Uh, and uh, this topic, let me kind of introduce it. So Vivian and I had been talking a while ago um, 
about their special interest group, the Green Anesthesia Special Interest Group, a, a really uh, fantastic group within Azure Pain Medicine. And um, they were excited about being able to present their topics to a broader group of people um, in a formal presentation. And so they had the idea of this symposium. And um, over the last year, they've done a really remarkable job. You guys have done a really remarkable job of putting this together and um, actually having it uh, get set up to go for October 1st. So this is an online webinar kind of experience. It's a full program with wonderful speakers, um, really talking about a broad set of topics about how we can be more green. Vivian, you want to kind of introduce a little bit more about the topic, where you guys were coming from and where, um, and I know this is a sort of a joint effort between Azure Pain Medicine, but there's a significant component from the Canadian Society as well, um, thinking about, uh, and why Azure Pain Medicine is the society that really should be talking about this too. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Raj. Thanks for the opportunity. And I still remember our conversation and you reaching out to me and say, hey, I think your idea is doable. I'm like, wow, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And I still remember you saying, well, you know, let's plan some, you know, some topics and get a full day. Um, so and then, you know, we're all busy the, with the planning committee with Deirdre and Ibi and Rakesh, Timur and Rachel, uh, you know, it, and then it just all happened. It's happening, you know, very soon. So I'm very excited about it. So, I'll, I'll, you know, firstly, I think regional anesthesia and environmental sustainability go hand in hand because I feel that, you know, have something that, you know, anesthetize, be able to anesthetize the patient's limbs for surgery without the need for volatile agents, which is a very potent greenhouse gas, is always, you know, a plus. And obviously, when we are actually doing our, you know, our anesthesia, um, then we, we also always need to be cognizant that we are actually, you know, potentially using more greenhouse gas or producing more greenhouse gas than our average, um, you know, population because they don't, you know, for our full day of uh, general anesthetic, we could potentially be driving from San Francisco to New York three times, um, you know, in an eight-hour day. So we just always need to be cognizant of, you know, when we every single time when we turn on the volatile agents. So I feel that if we can, you know, avoid uh, the general anesthetic and the volatile agent, then is a plus. Um, for sure. That's why I, th I feel that regional anesthesia and and uh, environmental sustainability goes hand in hand. And later on, our our um, you know we'll have Deidre and Eb talking about how they also you know the institution actually promote uh, getting rid of desferrin, which is an even more potent greenhouse gas. Um, so I feel that this symposium is going to be great because. We have speakers from all over the world. In fact, our keynote speaker is from the UK, is Dr. Hugh Montgomery, who has just been awarded the Most Excellent Order of the uh, British Empire Award this year for his work on climate change and health. And so he'll be talking about the environmental impact and healthcare. And so we also have speakers from all the way to uh, from Australia, so Force McGain, who uh, will be speaking to us about, you know, environmental challenges and things like that. So it, it, it's, a, you know, we, we, that's, the, that's the beauty of having virtual symposium is that we can invite, you know, um, speakers from all around the world without too much carbon, um, you know, carbon footprint. 
we in the program as well, we also have things like perioperative um, environmental sustainability strategies, which is very, very close to our heart. You know, we have acute pain, chronic pain, and, um, you know, why we need to avoid general anesthetics. And, you know, Tiva, sure, Tiva is also very good as well, but also it has its own problem. Uh, so we'll go through the, uh, strategies, obviously, strategies and practical tools for you, for people to use in their practice to be more environmentally sustainable. Um, it is an urgent problem, and I like everybody to know that as well, because unless you recognize that this is a problem, it's very difficult to encourage people to, to, I guess, to do something about it, or to be motivated. And that's why we have a wide variety of topics, um, like circular economy. If you don't know about that, you want to hear about that, that's uh, certainly uh, lectures on that Um and just to you know, broaden over this knowledge to give people tools to actually make a change. And don't think that, oh, it's too late to make any changes. Anyway, any change is important, especially we are closer to the target limit of, you know, one uh, raising the temperature of 1.5 degrees Celsius as the you know the intergovernment the IPCC the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has already put out a warning um, to urge all of us to take action. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great introduction, Vivian. I mean, I, I think all of us, um, probably most of us in medicine see the effects of climate change are, are happening all around us. It's hard to, to realize that us turning that little dial of gas uh, in the anesthetic is part of the problem and potentially part of the solution or at least the reduction of that as part of the solution. Deirdre, you you mentioned that in New York, you have already, uh, you have that itch when you walk around and you start seeing stuff that you can change. Um, I, I think a lot of people share that feeling, but often don't know how to take action on it. Talk to us a little bit about where you saw um, action and, and, and places that you guys have worked on. Sure. Yeah, I think as physicians, uh, it's especially important for us to um, set an example. And even though some people will say, well, our impact is only a certain percentage of um, the world's impact and that we should be focusing on industry. I think as physicians, we should be setting the example um, and making sure that we're doing the right thing. And so honestly, the way I've approached it is just when there's, you know, there's two choices in front of you, just try to always pick the better choice. Um, and that's kind of how I've always helped people through their kind of conundrums of, well, should I be doing Tiva and getting rid of volatile altogether? I'm like, well, if you have to use volatile, please just don't use desflurane and nitrous, you know, just choose the other one. And if you can do it with low flow anesthesia, that would be great. Um, so what we really started with here at Cornell was working on getting rid of desflurane. We had a really bad culture of thinking that desflurane was okay to use. Um, we had fallen into some marketing traps of thinking um, that desflurane was, you know, equivalent to sevoflurane if you used it with low flow, um, both in cost and um, in cost to the environment. And so we worked on educating, gathering a lot of educational materials to show exactly what the numbers were here at Cornell and how much we were spending on, on desflurane and how much um, carbon emissions that resulted in um, kind of on a monthly basis. Uh, and then we did a giant literature search and showed that 
you know, there, there were some initial studies that said that maybe desflurane is better in some cir- certain circumstances, um, maybe in the obese population, um, you know, maybe in the elderly, maybe for neuro. And so, you know, we brought that to our all of our faculty and the faculty agreed that maybe we could just take out the desflurane vaporizers from most of the rooms, except a couple of ones that, you know, maybe in the rooms where we do bariatric surgery um, and neurosurgery and everywhere else, you would just have to ask for it if you really wanted it. And everyone was on board because, um, you know, you for the most part, you were either in the camp of wanting to save money or in the camp of wanting to save the environment. Um, Some people were both, obviously. Um, And so, you know, there was strong support to do this, which we just really hadn't been able to get before because, you know, people just kept quoting these papers that, you know, well, you're actually saving money in the operating room. And so overall you're saving money. Um, But, uh, you know, when you really showed them the facts, they, they really understood. And we dramatically within you know, a month we saw a dramatic reduction, and then over 12 months we reduced our carbon emissions by almost 90 percent just uh, from our desflooring uh, contribution. Obviously, our, that included whatever increase uh, we used on sevoflurane, and so um, you know, it, you know, it did include propofol or things like that. But for the for the time being, we were only focusing on getting rid of desflurane. We weren't even telling people to use Tiva. So honestly, I think that the swap was really to SIVO. Um, and so that was a really dramatic and um, positive thing. And now our residents, they were like, what do you mean when you are a resident, use desflurane for every case? But I did. I'm so embarrassed. But I did because that's what my attendings told me to do. They said it was fine. Um, and so um, it's, it's pretty impressive to see a culture change that quickly from, from something like that. Yeah, it's gonna. I think it's also a really great example of making a system change to make that individual change easier. Like, I feel like we often wind up getting into the sort of individual versus system thing, but it's so easy to just turn it on when it's right there and use it. And when you have to just that, it's. I mean, we still have them. We can call and ask somebody to get it. It's not that hard, but yeah, hardly anybody does it. See that that's a very good example of like a knowledge gap, and people just don't even know that you know some like especially in the early days people don't even know that actually desfluring at low flow is not equivalent to sevoflurane at you know just one liter flow per minute you shouldn't be using one liter flow per minute anyway and um, so it, i i think this is very important and that's why again like coming back to the symposium is like you will learn lots more and and think new things that you don't even know that you don't know Right. Uh, and it's hard to do something about something that you don't know that you don't know. Right. I, I, you know, Deirdre, your your example is so interesting um, because, um, you know, individual change to make system change. Oftentimes um, we, we have more influence over that than we realize. And um, I, it sounds a little bit cynical, but I found that often most people will do things that have the path of least resistance. Um, and. and and if you can put any kind of barrier to the direction that they, even a little tiny speed bump in the direction that you don't want them to go, that most people will just not go over that speed bump and they will go the other way as long as that's easier. And so um, we found that uh, I, I created a system years ago and it has nothing to do with green anesthesia where uh, people were ordering like 10 different variations of epidural infusions um, okay. because everybody had their custom order and different local anesthetics, different narcotics, different concentrations. And I said, no, we're not doing that. we got one order set. 
but I gave an option in there that they could put a custom selection. Everything else was a pre-click, but they had one custom selection. And I set it up so that if anybody ever put anything in there, it sent me an email. So I knew that they did it. I never got one email. Nobody ever used that little custom option. They didn't want to type it out. They had to physically type out the name of the drug they wanted. And nobody did that. And little things like that can affect change. We're actually in the process in our institution. They put QR codes on the uh, vaporizers and they're informational. So if somebody's in the operating room on the vaporizer for Sevoflurane, you hover over it and it comes up with a page talking about the environmental impact of anesthetic gases, low flow anesthesia, the difference between the different gases and nitrous and how that affects the environment so that people that helps with that knowledge gap component. And yeah, we did something similar. We have um, placards now that at least say the different environmental impacts of the different volatiles and has a little um we're trying to teach low flow anesthesia, which is our next barrier that everyone still wants to use two liters per minute with SIVO. And, and so, um, our clinical. Because it was taught. That was how we were taught. It's I, bad for the patient to have low flow with SIVO. Yeah. You know? Even with education, that one, we've still had a little bit of a barrier. So we started with the placards to at least, we put the FDA recommendations, which actually say that you can go below two for two Mac hours. And so at least for people to feel if they don't want to veer from FDA, we put yeah. what the FDA says up there. So they can't even, cause they can't, otherwise they're misquoting the FDA. Right. And, um, but we're, we're working on a couple of the things and we had talked about QR codes and maybe doing like a weekly message or something. So um, I'd be interested, you know, to hear more about your success with that as well. Of course. Well, we just instituted that. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and you know, the, the cool thing about having electronic medical records is we can actually pull people's flow rates out of the system and and then see like does that match up um with a change in in intervention you know and and do we have a um drop in flow rates um what eb when you when you guys are working you know we were talked about uh desflurane talk, talk to me a little bit about nitrous because you know this was where my knowledge gap was is you know we knew that nitrous was bad i didn't realize how bad it was yeah. Talk to me a little bit about nitrous. Yeah, it really is one of the worst. And it's not just because it's the global warming potential. Like initially, if you look at the 10 or 20 year, it looks similar to that of sevoflurane, And you think it's not that bad. But then when you start multiplying it out by the amount that you're using, because you're not using, because you're using obviously a lot more nitrous oxide in order to get a half max. And then the fact that it also lasts for 114 years in the atmosphere, that it That's starts bad. to become much, much worse. And a lot of the, we go through this in our article in Azure News, but a lot of the, um, a lot of the articles on this sort of emphasize this point that all seems to kind of go back to one single calculation of how the healthcare industry is such a small portion of the whole, because nitrous oxide emissions also come from agriculture and a lot of other sources. But again, it's one of these things where like, if you don't have to use it, we don't want to use it. And if you have a choice, you can avoid nitrous. And it's really, I, I think it does get a little more complicated, particularly at the hospital that I work at. I work at Lower Manhattan Hospital. I work at our, one of the community hospitals. So even though I'm in the same department as Deirdre, I'm actually not at the same hospital most of the time. But at least here we have nitrous oxide for OB, which is a kind of a big selling point for labor pain, 
and it's really hard. Like it's again, the sort of if, when it's there and it's right in front of you and somebody wants it, it's hard to like look at somebody and be like, well, are you sure you want this thing that might help your pain? Cause it also causes global warming, but it's, it's something that I think we need to think about and think about in advance so we can make better decisions about how we're planning these things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Jeremy. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, the OB, the Entinox is something that, you know, it's rising in the United States and it's, it's actually kind of crazy because it's, it's not as uh, effective as an epidural, as we all know, as regional anesthesiologists. Um, and its impact on the environment is so much worse. Um, it's almost 300 times the amount of the impact. That includes all the plastics and everything that have to be manufactured to place the epidural and the infusion itself. And so um, it's just crazy to me that we're going in the wrong direction. And additionally, there's so much questioning about um, the effects of an epidural on um, the health of the baby. And, you know, that article that came out earlier about, it, you know, effect on, uh, you know, brain development and stuff like that. But there's evidence that nitrous causes this problem, too, and it readily crosses um, the placenta. And so it's, you know, there's all these negatives to using it. But then when people write about nitrous oxide, they write about it with these titles like the aging gentleman. And because we've used it for hundreds of years, it's fine. And I'm like, OK, like, no, like we have better drugs. Like, let's not hold on to it just because we like to say we use the same thing we've used forever. Like, I just think it's time to, you know, yeah. move on. <laughs> yes, well, I, I absolutely agree. And that's why patient education is so important as well. And um, and then the symposium, again, I'm just going to go back to the program again. Um, we do have a patient representative um, who works in the UK to actually come and speak to us about how to approach patients, how to, you know, work and collaborate with patients and get their perspective and educate them so that they can make a decision and maybe they can work with healthcare providers to actually change the culture, change the mentality. I remember one time uh, we were doing, uh, for World Anesthesia Day, we were doing this um, booth, um, just we were just sitting in the, at the hospital entrance and telling people about the environmental sustainability in anesthesia. And I remember this 10-year-old girl just came up to us and say, Hey, you know, I want to know about this. Uh, let me, uh, you know, tell me more. So we were telling her about the anesthesia impact, and it turned out that she is like a frequent, um, it's you know, frequent visitor uh, because she has to you have procedures every every so often. And she said, "Right, okay, next time I'm going to talk to my anesthesiologist, and I want uh, an environmental sustainable anesthesia. I'm going to tell him that. I'm going to tell her. Um, yeah, so it's awesome." And um, what, you're talking about such an international faculty. Um, wh where do you think, you know, the, the motivations, the politics, the finances of medicine are so different across the planet in different countries? Who do you think has aligned their incentives properly to, to motivate departments to do better as far as green uh, delivery of anesthesia, be more conscientious of this. Where, where is, the, where are the places that are working, and then what are the driving motivators there? Yeah, I think in the UK they they actually uh, you know lead us into this because they are looking at um, the net zero um, healthcare or you know energy consumption from healthcare. And uh, Cliff Shelton is part of this, um, who is also a faculty as well. Uh, at the symposium, and he's uh, one of the, I think, 
um, partner or driving force for this uh, initiative. Um, so I, I feel that the operating room managers and those who are actually on higher level also need to be aware of the problem. And, and that's why the symposium is also catered for the managers. And we have faculty, not just, uh, you know, the, from the medical field, but also engineers, um, managers, patient advocates. Uh, because I feel that it is time for, you know, healthcare to have accountability for what they do. And they're, you know, a top-down approach to say, this is what we're going to do, um, might be a better driver for for changes. You know, the changes that we actually need very quickly because we are already seeing the impact of climate change. I mean, this summer, it is very hot. I can't believe it's so hot in Edmonton and we're, we're still having warm temperature. I'm like, well, usually we have snow by now, um, but no. Uh, and in the UK, where my mom is, um, she said, no, the grass is all yellow because there's they have no rain which i'm like it's unheard of like no rain in the uk it drizzles all year round normally um but yeah they, she sent me a picture it's yeah. yellow the grass is yellow and they are having like 43 degrees uh, centigrade temperature which is like shocking um so yeah I'll read off a couple of the topics here just so you guys are aware what's what's going on so the first is why code red for humanity um, second is greening the perioperative area um, to waste or not to waste, and then challenges implementing change and brightening our future. Those, those are the big chunks of time. Um, this is a full day symposium. You guys have a tremendous number of topics. Um, I, I don't want to go into every little uh, section of it. Um, tell me a little bit about something that um, I'll start with you, EB. Um, when you were helping kind of with the program and the projects that you've been working on, um, what do you think stands out as low-hanging fruit for people? I mean, we talked about the anesthetic gases, but if you're somebody that works in the perioperative arena, um, what do you recommend if, if one of these topics were like, don't miss this part of the session? Like, where do you want people to go? Because that's actionable. Um, you can have I'm your pet topic if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally going to like plug my own talk because yeah, I go for don't it. know the details of anybody else's talk, but... Um, my talk is actually the one on, um, I forget what it was even called, but I think it was environmental sustainability, the role of the regional anesthesiologist for environmental sustainability, which I feel like is very, we've talked, we've already been talking a lot about how how terrible inhalational anesthetics are. And of course, we're all regional anesthesiologists. We always want to block something. So it's very easy to sort of slide into the like, yeah, we should just block everything. And I try to get make it, I talk a little broader than that. I don't want to completely spoil it, but I've already mentioned like the sort of individual versus systemic change is a big thing of mine. And also try to get in a little more about like sort of what it means to be a regional anesthesiologist and to think about like what we're good at. Because we're not, I mean, we're good at putting needles in places and getting local to the spot we want it to, but we're also just, I think we're really good at innovation and coming up with creative new ways to approach things. That's something that's always been a really big part of our specialty. And I think, I think we might not we might not have the solution to all of our problems at the symposium because there might be somebody in the audience who hasn't come up with it yet. And I think that would be the dream outcome of all of this. But I really did try to, I just, I really want to make a plug. I, I, 
I don't know how good my talk was, but I did it. It was recorded. Um, but I, if, even if you're not a regional anesthesiologist, because obviously we're now ASRA pain medicine, so the pain medicine people, you should definitely come to because they go through, I have a whole activity that you can go through about thinking about what you're good at and how you can affect change in your own practice. I think it would be some of it's applicable to anyone who's not even an anesthesiologist. So even bring your oh, family yeah. for that part. Absolutely. And there's actually a session on chronic pain and uh, environmental sustainability, which um, Dr. Ariana uh, Nelson is going to talk to us about that. Yeah, I think that sounds like an excellent talk, Evie, and I look forward to hearing it. Um, I think it's, it is very important for regional anesthesiologists to realize, you know, what we're good at and to to think about, though, our individual practice of how we could even do better. And I think, you know, we think, well, we're picking the better option, right? But we have that article out of Australia from Forbes McGain that shows that sometimes when you practice regional anesthesia, it might not be the best if you haven't, you know, lowered your oxygen uh, levels or you're using in a, a bear hugger that has a lot of electricity or anything like that. So there are ways, even in your regional practice, to, you know, to look at what you're doing and then evaluate it. So I think teaching the tools, obviously a lot of these sessions will be educational to give you the information you need, but also just um, teaching the tools for people to look at their own practice and then also look at their global practice and see if there's something that they can advocate for. They can go to those nurse managers or the, you know, the executives and say, you know, I think we should re you know, put some dimmers in our OR lights or something that, you know, you can reduce your electricity or something that you've learned from this. Um, I think that's, that's the goal of all of these sessions. So. Yeah. And I think also things like advocating in your community for better sources of renewable energy. And that's, I think as physicians, we also have a role as I think you mentioned this in my bio is a role as patient advocates and seeing that there's a problem and not an understanding that it's not just a simple fix for us, but there need to be bigger systemic changes and speaking up about that. Yeah. And to go back to a question you had earlier, Raj, about which country is doing a good job, we can all kind of agree on which one is probably not doing a good job. Um, And I think it's the place with the most opportunity is for improvement. Honestly, yes. And, you know, we have our healthcare system is about, I think, I think the number is about 25% of the global healthcare, um, global emissions. And so, you know, we have a lot uh, that we contribute. And so I think we have a lot where we can save. Um, And so I think, you know, our focus has been on safety for the patient in front of us. And that is, you know, reducing the risk of any infection. If that means, you know, you watch the orthopedic surgeons put down 20 drapes and like a drape just falls on the floor. And if a company tells them that this new product that is, you know, three times as expensive and wrapped in 10 things of plastic is going to prevent one infection, possibly prevent an infection. They listen to that and the hospital listens to that and they buy that product because they don't want an infection because that's what we're being marked on. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do infection control. We certainly should, but it should be evidence-based. And, you know, I think we've been fooled for so long because we just listened to, well, that's an infection. That's a, you know, it's going to reduce infection. So we're going to do it. We're going to wear a sterile gown for an epidural when, you know, we've been doing epidurals forever. And I, I, you know, there's not that many infections if you do it properly. And um, I don't think adding a sterile gown is going to add anything to it. So those kinds of things I think are important to recognize and shift away from just the patient in front of you to thinking about a little more globally of that 
what about that patient's children and child and, and grandchild that, you know, they're going to be patients later. And are we creating more problems down the road for them by having an environment that they can't live in? Vivian, yeah. I'll, I'll pose this question to you, um, and you may not have an answer to this, but I often sit and wonder, and, and Deirdre kind of alluded to this, is about where um, unintended consequences of policy change lead to decision-making and potentially um, uh, marketing campaigns that take advantage of those policy changes. The one that sticks out to me and has been a, just an irritation for me since the time it happened is when we went to single-use laryngoscopes. Um, drives me up the wall that that was a change. Um, and, you know, I know there's been, I, I can't remember if you were there at the lecture, but there was a lecture I, I listened to recently about what the environmental footprint of those laryngoscopes are. Uh, and it's, it's massive. And, you know, there was a lot of like, um, a lot of polishing the turd on that conversation when um, they talked about, oh, don't worry, everything's recyclable. And, and um, that, that you know, that's it's obviously a little bit of marketing speak going on there. But uh, but it's interesting if you track back, like, why did that change happen? Like, who instituted the policy that made that change um, go to effect? And it's been a massive change across the country. The amount of change to single use laryngoscopes has been tremendous. Yes, so absolutely. Thoughts on that? I mean, I, not on that particular topic. That's my own little pet peeve. But um about how we as physicians get involved in that policy level um, where it affects those downstream decisions. Exactly. And it's going back to what Deirdre has alluded to. We need robust robust evidence. Um, and then our practice should be evidence-based. And not just like because this drug reps say, you know, it prevents like one case of prion out of whatever, um, you know, millions of cases. And, and the instance of prion disease is so tiny that, you know, are we even doing anything really useful? I mean, look at the big picture. But of course, um, especially I have to say, I'm very fortunate that I'm in Canada and that we we don't have that sort of marketing level yet. But I know in the US, just because the practice is different and there's a lot of litigation or fear for litigation. And that's why the hospital itself, um, they will just buy anything that's, you know, even remotely like just, you know, by reducing 0.0001% chance of whatever. Um, and so this really needs, you know, uh, um, leaders who are also environmentally conscious and also, you know, have kind of I, I guess a sense of looking at the big picture, looking at the context. For example, you know, one example is okay, everybody's worried about drug shortage. How but has anyone looked at food shortage? What about shortage of water? Right? You know, just you know, look at the big picture. Um, so that that would be even more detrimental uh, than you know, this tiny you know, little little thing that you're trying to prevent, which is really neither here or there. And so I feel that the there should be more of us, you know, environmental conscious people who are leaders and actually speak to these policy makers and be actually part of the conversation and say, hey, listen, look, what's the evidence? What's the true evidence? What are we actually doing here? Are we, you know, in the context of everything, are we actually helping humanity or not? Don't just look at li this little tiny microscopic 
um, thing. I think I think that will be you know that that'll be one of the one of the um, uh, strategy. I don't know whether Deidre Anipa has any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, getting this one of the other reasons for this symposium is to really bring people together and realize that as a group we could make a difference and actually say something. I think. For too long, we've given up control to our, you know, especially in the U.S. anyway, to our regulatory bodies who come to the hospital and give us recommendations for best practices that aren't always evidence-based. For example, the OR jackets that came in for a year or two that we were all forced to wear that were, you know, it was millions of dollars that were wasted. Plus, I can't even imagine the CO2 impact of just those couple of years where we all had to wear OR jackets you know, and they were made of plastic. Everyone thought they were cotton and they were made of plastic. Everyone calls them paper. They're actually autoclavable three yeah. times. Um, you know, you could rewear them. Uh, but, uh, you know, and a couple of years before they had just gotten rid of white coats out of the OR. And I was like, how are these any different? But no one wanted to listen to me. Um, and so... Um, I think that we need to be able to go back to these bodies and when they make a blanket statement of, well, what are you doing to prevent infection? I see people aren't wearing jackets and covering up their arms. And instead you say, instead of just, oh, well, we'll buy them. We'll make everyone wear them. Say, we have our physicians wash their hands between patient inter interactions and anytime they notice that they've been contaminated. And washing your body and washing your hands is better than wearing a jacket that's been contaminated and then you don't switch it. Um, so, um, you know, I think that we've just been so fearful and we haven't taken control, but if people come together and actually advocate for common sense solutions, as opposed to the fear-based solutions, um, and if we all know that we're all in agreement, then we can, we can move forward with that. And I honestly think that's where it comes down to with the laryngoscopes, um, is that it's very fear-based and also marketed that you know, the marketing is that they're cheaper. Um, and we do have a life cycle analysis that shows that if you use the reusable ones, I think it's three times, two and a half times, something very low, it's cheaper. And that includes all the reprocessing. Um, it's, it's cheaper than these disposable ones. But the companies are obviously going to want to sell their product that they're going to be able to keep selling and selling and selling. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a problem because we're a capitalist society and, uh, you know, they want to sell products. So that's the other issue. Yeah. And that's why the people, oh yeah, Yubi. I was going to say, and I think a lot of the regulations are also frankly just confusing and it's hard to figure out how to change them. Like even, or even just to figure out what the regulations are. I don't know if you've ever tried to like actually just like look up what the regulations are in any of the joint commission. So it's, it's just buried under something you have to buy and you can't find it. That's yeah, hard to even argue with it. That's the thing as well that I think we as, you know, environmental conscious healthcare providers, we need to take the lead and be on the procurement committee as well. Because, um, you know, we if we want to be heard, we need to be there and speak up. And also collaboration is very important because as a group, we can, you know, maybe push out position statements, practice advisories and things like that. Um, and, you know, and just gather evidence so that we can challenge them and actually, you know, challenge the thinking and to encourage triple bottom line and, um, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, I'm going to, we've had uh, obviously a very um, interesting conversation, but I don't want to take away anything from the symposium. You guys have so much more information to share. I can see you on the edge of your seats ready to 
to say more. And I'm going to wrap up this conversation today because this is a teaser for the symposium. And uh, clearly, there's so much more to talk about and to learn. Um, I have tremendous amounts to learn myself, even though I'm paying attention to this and I consider myself aware of it. Sometimes I don't know what to do with that awareness and how to action, put that into action. So Azra.com, it's one of our events. Um, and um, you can go there, look at the whole program. Again, extensive program. Um, really wonderful. This is uh, qualifies for CME. If, if that's important to you, um, you can get CME from this, but it's just an amazing learning opportunity, if nothing else. Um, and go register for the program. It's October 1st. It will be recorded so you can watch it afterwards. So if you can't watch it live, you'll still be able to watch the recorded version of it afterwards. But, you know, with the live component, there is a certain amount of interactivity you can have as well. So I encourage you to join in real time. If not, it will be a reference for later. Um, the other thing I'll do is I'm going to plug the special interest group, um, you know, Azra has these special interest groups. And when the green anesthesia special interest group came to the board, we were kind of confused about where it would fit within the society, but they have really thrived and, and shown that this group of people are uh, strong advocates for improving the care we provide to our patients while providing a more green um, perspective on the anesthetic care. It doesn't mean that quality of care goes down. It actually, we can improve the quality of care at the same time. So I encourage you guys to go to those. I want to thank all of you for joining me today. Um, it's it's a wonderful conversation and uh, I think directly actionable um, after you get done going to the symposium. I think everybody who listens will have at least one thing to fix at their institution. And that's the start of the second, third, fourth and fifth things that need to be changed. So I encourage you guys to do that. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day. I really appreciate it. And um, go to the website and register. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Russ.